Hey folks, welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Christ Church at Grove Farm. Whether it's your first time or you've been here since the beginning, we are thrilled to be a part of your spiritual walk and look forward to all that Christ is doing in your life. If you are looking for more information about Christ Church or you would like to connect with one of our pastors or ministry leaders, you can reach us on our website, ccgf.org. You can also connect with us on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Here is this week's message. Grace and peace to you. You might remember that we put a memory verse for the year in front of you. It's Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 6. In fact, we're wrapping up today our journey through the Proverbs during the month of January. Maybe you'll pick that habit up and keep it going throughout the year. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. Great one to memorize. We're going to have these cards available next week, as well as magnets that are like this. You can put in your fridge or, you know, somewhere around your house. Take these, be prepared for that. Learn this verse as a church. It'll be fun for us to do. And you can even use these cards to invite people to be a part of our fellowship here. You can, you can invite them to read God's word and, and to encourage them with this verse. So I just want to put that before you. I also want to remind you of this. We're committed to prayer. We pray on Wednesday nights right here in this place. And we'd love to have you join us. We're working on live stream for that if you're worshiping online. But please come and join us. We had a great crowd here. We had a great time together in prayer. We are a church that believe wholeheartedly in the power of prayer. We believe it begins there. That's what this series is about. We're going to get to the message in a moment. But let's turn to the Lord in prayer right now. Oh, Father, we do uh, thank you for your loving kindness and your goodness And God, as we come before you this morning, we do pray that you would give us understanding, that you would make our paths straight, teach us to acknowledge you in all our ways. And Lord, we know that there are people uh, who are part of our church family, people who are worshiping with us online, people in our community, in our circle of friends who are experiencing difficulty, many challenges. My mind right now, I think of my friend Mark Ratty, who lost his wife Rita to cancer just on this past Friday. Lord, pray for comfort. We pray for peace. Lord, as we turn to your word this morning and consider what it has to say on this snowy day, we do indeed pray that you would make us whiter than snow, particularly as we wrestle with and grapple with our own propensity for sin. We thank you, Lord, for the hope of Jesus in light of all this. We pray all this in his name. Amen. One of the more memorable places that I've ever had the opportunity to visit is a place called Kibera. Kibera is a slum in Nairobi, Kenya. I've got some pictures here to show you of what Kibera looks like. It's actually one of the largest slums of all in Africa, which makes it one of the largest slums in all of the world. People basically living on top of each other. It's built on a garbage heap. They make their homes um, from scraps of metal and wood. It's a kind of place, because of its poverty and and because of the evil that's there, really breeds despair and invites a sense of despair. It's a very heavy experience. And I remember one particular moment in my journeys to Kibera where we work with the children that you see in the pictures. Pictures taken by my friend, by the way, who's just incredible. But, But I remember one scene where there was a little child in this alleyway playing 
in a stream of raw sewage. They don't have running water there. And this little toddler was unattended, playing in this stream of raw sewage. And I thought to myself, how awful to see a child playing in filth. No one paying attention to them. No one saying, get out of here. Unbelievable. And I went through a range of emotions. You know, even today, I think about that. There was a sense of indignation about the whole thing. How can this be? There was a sense of judgment, quite honestly. How How can a people allow their children to circumstances like this? There's a sense of mourning as I consider the state of this place, the place where these children that I care about so much live. You know, and I, I have to ask the question, why is it that people can live in such full physical circumstances? Why can that be? You know, the, the reality is this. We have to consider this. That though there is a, a physical environment that's very real, there is also an inner life, an inner reality that is equally real. We don't talk about that all the time, but there's an inner reality of every person, of every life that is very, very real, present. And you know, it's interesting, the inner life has a tendency to get cluttered. You know what I mean? It seems like the clutter of our inner life can can build up. In fact, our inner life can become downright filthy sometimes. Filthy. And, And what I'm talking about is our propensity to sin. There's a propensity to sin that lives in me and it lives in you and it's a part of this inner world and it can leave us feeling filthy, oversexed, overindulged, overdone, overspent, overly critical. The list goes on and on and on and on. You know, Jesus talked about this in the scriptures in, in Matthew 23. Jesus talked about this, you know, this fact that those of us who have a tendency maybe to, to be incensed, to be in mourning, to look at a situation like the one I described for you in Kabira and say, how can this be? We somehow grow comfortable with the inner reality being filthy. Listen to what Jesus said. Now he's speaking here to the teachers of the law, kind of the villains of the New Testament, the Pharisees. But let's not be so quick to just point the finger at those guys, I believe that the words of Jesus here have application for us too. Look at Matthew 23, uh, picking up in verse 25. Here's what Christ said to those people present in that time. And I believe he says to us too, woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish. Then the outside also will be clean. He goes on, he says, Woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs. Like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead 
and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to be people who are righteous. But in the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. (laughs) Heavy, harsh words, right? But something that we have to grapple with, I believe, as a people. Are you like a mausoleum that's full of bones? Are you like a dirty cup that you wash the outside but the inside still filthy? I mean, let me ask you this question and something to consider today. How clean are you? How clean are you today? We're going to look at Psalm 51. Jeremiah's already read it for us. Thank you, Jeremiah, for that. And Psalm 51 deals with the seriousness and the significance of sin. You might wonder, man, well, this dude's really serious today. Let me tell you, the Bible is serious about sin. So if there's a serious tone coming off, well, that's because we have to be serious about this. It's a serious issue. And this is a serious passage that we're going to be looking at this morning. Not only that, you know, we're talking about prayer. We've been spending these first 40 days of the year in prayer. And this is a model of prayer. Again, if you're a loss of words, pray the scriptures. This is a prayer that you can pray, particularly when you're feeling filthy, cluttered on the inside, like you're rotting away. This is a prayer that we turn to. It's a great example. By the way, just a little context for this psalm. Psalm 51 is is believed to be connected to the story of the prophet Nathan, Nathan rebuking David after his affair with Bathsheba. And also the subsequent murder of his husband that was at the hands of David. And so why is this so serious? It's dealing with some serious stuff. The context is incredible sin. In fact, if you want some bonus content, go back this, re- this week and read 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12, and then read Psalm 51, and you'll get the full picture. But why don't we go to the Scriptures again? Let's read through this together. I- I'm really um, excited in a way, which is really strange because this is serious and heavy, but I'm really excited for us to dig into this passage this morning. Let's go to Psalm 51, beginning in verse 1 and 2. Again, the scripture says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away my iniquity and cleanse me from my my sin. Well, in light of his filth, first things first, what does David do? He turns to God. He turns to the mercy of God. The mercy and love of God, in fact, In fact, this this translation that we're reading doesn't really express the full sense of what the Hebrew language expresses in this passage. You see, the the Hebrew language, when it talks about the mercy of God and his unfailing love, the, the literal words would mean great wombs, like the womb of a mother. And what it's expressing is this, that the love of God could be compared to the great love, the compassionate love that a mother has for her children. And that's what David's calling on as he turns to God. Here's the question for you. When you're feeling filthy, when you're feeling dirty, where do you turn? How do you deal with that? Do you turn to worldly things? Do you turn to vices? Where do we turn? When we're dealing with the filth of the inner reality of of ourselves, 
Here's what David's example is to us. He was dealing with some serious filth, and he turns to the Lord. He turns to God and says, God, I need your mercy. Let me tell you, if you're crippled by sin, the best thing you can do on this day is turn to the Lord. That's the first step. We have to turn to his mercy. And then David lays out in just these first two verses, this fourfold prayer that he puts before God. And let's go through his fourfold prayer. The first thing he says, of course, is have mercy on me. I lost my page. He says, have mercy on me. And then he says, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Blot out my transgressions. Transgressions, you know what that means? That means going outside the lines that God has drawn in his law. You ever done that? You ever gone outside the lines of God's law? That's what transgressions are. And he says, listen, blot out my transgressions. That, that term blot, blot out, that's referring to canceling a debt, a debt that's too big to pay. He's saying, look, Lord, please forgive my debt because I've gone outside the lines of your law. That's the, that's the second part of his prayer. And then David says this, wash away, wash away all of my iniquity. Well, what's iniquity? Iniquity is when we yield to, to the evil desires of our flesh. It's kind of like the dark side. You know, when you turn to the dark side, do you have a dark side? In my house, the, the kids refer to me as Darth Craig or Darth Dad. The dark side, when I turn there, everyone knows it. Because Darth Craig comes out. You got, you got that version of yourself? It's when we're filthy inside. And so what he says here is he says, listen, I have yielded to the evil desires. I've gone to the dark side. Wash away all my iniquity. And, and this is referring to like the washing that you would do, the laundering you would do with clothing. And so David here is saying, listen, just like the Hebrew tradition values putting on new clean clothes, it's like a new beginning. He says, I need that in my life because I have yielded to the dark side. And then the last part of his prayer is this. He says, cleanse me, cleanse me from my sin. Cleanse me from my sin. And this word sin means that he has missed the mark that God has set for him. Missed the mark. He's fallen short of the mark that God has set for him. And so he says, cleanse me. And this refers to being cleaned up from the defilement associated with touching something unclean. This was a people that had things that were considered clean and unclean. If you touch something unclean, you're defiled. It's kind of like playing in a stream of raw sewage. He says, listen, I need you, Lord, to cleanse me from my sin because I've missed the mark. So let me ask you the question again. Where do you turn? There's only one place to turn. When you've crossed the line, when you've given into the dark side, when you've missed the mark, when you feel filthy, there's one place to turn. We turn to God and pray for cleansing. That might be the message some of you need to hear right now today. Simply this, that you turn to God and you ask him, you pray for his cleansing. That's just the first two verses. Man, we need more time. There's so much here in this passage. Let's keep going through it. Let's pick back up in verse three. In verse three, we read this. The psalmist says, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil 
in your sight so that you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely, I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me, yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. He says right out of the gate here, for I know my transgressions. You know, it's like this thing that he cannot get out of his mind. It's like a recording or a tape that's just playing over and over again on repeat. You ever had that happen to you? For some, it's like something that has happened years ago that you keep on repeating in your head over and over again because you messed up big time. Maybe it's just something that happened this week, the way you spoke to someone, something done in private, some kind of sin that just reared its ugly head in your life. And what happens? You keep on going back to that moment over and over again. The guilt, the shame, just keep on going back and they're playing over and over again like a tape. But I love this. We don't see the psalmist protest and say, no, 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 I'm innocent. I didn't do it. No, they don't do that. In fact, they own it. They say, I know my transgressions. The tape is playing in my head. I can't get it out of my mind. And they go on to say this, against you, you only have I sinned. This is important. Against you, you only have I sinned. What makes sin to be sin is that it is against God. It's against God. So that sin that's playing over and over again in your head, that filth that's a part of your inner life, my inner life, that sin isn't just against maybe another human. It's against God ultimately. Maybe that's why the sense of guilt is so strong. You know, we tend to say in our culture, well, I made a mistake. You know, something happens in our life. We say, well, I made a mistake. You see this in professional sports all the time. There'll be an athlete who's, who's testing positive for, for performance-enhancing drugs, and they put a press release out. What do they say? Hey, I made a mistake. I made a mistake. I didn't realize I was injecting human growth hormone. Give me a break, right? It was a mistake. Listen, here's what a mistake is. A mistake is when... Well, for instance, I bought my wife a Snuggie for Christmas one year. Got a picture of the Snuggie right here for you. Remember these? She was living with me. It gets brought up every year at Christmas about the time, and she like scowls at me. Listen, honey, I'm sorry I bought you the Snuggie. It truly was a mistake. But we're not talking about mistakes here. We have a tendency to write off our sin and say, oh, it's just a mistake. No, it's sin. Against you and you only have I sinned. And listen, there's no self-justification. There's no defense of sin before God. And you know what the psalmist here, you know what David models for us? He owns it. He owns it, says, you know what? I did it. We, we believe he's thinking about Bathsheba and what happened there, that affair. Or maybe he's thinking about the murder of her husband that he ordered. And he owns it and he said, you know what? I have sinned. No more making excuses. No more blaming someone else. No more saying, well, I was just on the roof and I wandered and I saw this pretty girl. No, he says, he says I have sinned. I'm owning it. I'm going to stop playing the blame game. And why do you need to own it? Well, look at verses 7 through 9. Back in Psalm 51, he says, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Don't you love that on this day? I love that we're reading that passage. 
If you're watching online, somewhere other in the world, maybe a warm place, it's snowing right here in Swickley, Pennsylvania. It's beautiful, isn't it? And what we see here is the psalmist says, cleanse me with hyssop and I'll be clean. Wash me, I'll be whiter than snow, pure. Don't you love when you look out in the morning on a snow that hasn't been touched and how pure it looks? It's incredible. He says, let me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have crushed rejoice. That the bones you have crushed rejoice. He speaks of these, these crushed bones. And this suggests that like a serious illness, that there's a spiritual anguish that's resulted from the sin in this person's life. In fact, in the ancient world, they associated illness as a consequence of sin. If someone was, was sick, we see this in the New Testament. Someone comes and says to Jesus, well, hey, this guy's blind. Why is he blind? Who sinned? Him or his parents? Whose fault is it? They're saying, look, something's happened in this person's life. Something's going wrong. It must be because they've, they've sinned against God. And, and really, when he says the bones that have been crushed, he's actually appealing to this whole idea that this sin in his life has affected his whole person. We see this reflected in the passage. Look, in verse 3, he, he has eyes that see distress. In verse 6, his mind has slunk into foolish thinking. In, in verse 8, he's got ears that despair and bones that are in agony. We just read that. In, in verse 10, he's got a heart that's impure. He's got a spirit that's stubborn. In verse 14, he's got hands that destroy. This sin is affecting his whole person. You ever feel that way? Not only is the tape playing in your head, but there's actually an agony that's pervading your whole life because of your sin. This may explain why you're, you're feeling a certain way today. You may have come into this place, you may be listening or, or watching this message. You might think, this explains it. I feel like my life has a dark cloud over it. And it could be that there is sin in your life that needs to be dealt with. It affects the whole person. It affects your whole life. That's what the psalmist recognizes, and so they're pleading and praying to God. And this is how deep the sin runs. Go back to verses, verses 3 through 6. This is how deep it runs. It says this, surely, in verse 5, I was sinful at birth. It runs deep. I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in the secret place. Don't you love this again? You know, we, we talk here at Christ Church about our passion for life. We, we believe that abortion is a great stain on our culture and our nation. Why? Because we see over and over again in the scriptures that human life doesn't begin at birth, begins at conception. That there's something happening God is knitting together a human life in the womb, teaching people things, even in the womb. It's an incredible truth. And so we're passionate about life. And we also see this in this passage, that this, this, this person who is speaking here recognizes that he is by nature sinful. This isn't something he stumbled into. He's by nature sinful. And if God doesn't rescue him, he will continue to sin and do evil over and over and over again. That's what he's recognizing here. That there's a root problem. This is, this is the important thing as we consider what this passage is saying to us. The claim of righteousness 
is denied to every human being. The claim of righteousness, let me say it again, is denied to every human being. But the sinfulness of humans doesn't mean that people can't do anything good. No, no. We are capable of good, but this is the thing. This this part about the sinfulness of human beings and the claim of righteousness being denied to us, it does mean that our goodness cannot give us entrance into God's family, his kingdom. Our goodness will never, ever be enough. That's what this means. Some of you have been dogged by sin for years. I keep on bringing this up. There, There is an old sin, a sin in the past that you remember, or maybe there's just general sin. And you are dogged by that sin, and you've been dogged by it for years and years. The tape keeps on playing. It it, it has debilitating effects on your life, on your person. And you feel powerless to deal with the situation. I want to share with you a quote from one of my favorite preachers, Tim Keller. Listen to this, Keller's words. I want to to break this down for you, this, this, this quote. Keller says, to lose our grip on the costliness of forgiveness will result in a superficial, perfunctory confession that does not lead to any real change of heart. In other words, listen, if you come into this and you're you're kind of cavalier about your sinfulness, that that you are casual and superficial, that, that you will not lead to any real change of heart. You won't have it. He says this, he says, there will be no life change. But he also says this, to lose our grip on the freeness of forgiveness, however, will lead to continued guilt, shame, and self-loathing, the, the tape playing over and over again in your mind. There will be no relief. So he says this, only when we see both the freeness and the cost of forgiveness will we get relief from our guilt as well as liberation from the power of sin in our lives. Don't you see it? Let me sum this part of this up for you. In sincere self-awareness and humility, we must seek the gift of forgiveness by confessing our sin. You see it? I mean, we have to come before God honestly, in sincerity, being, being real about who we are. And in humility, seek this great gift that God's offering us, his forgiveness. And it begins by confessing our sins. Let's go back to the text, verses 10 through 12. Back in Psalm 51, the psalmist says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence, or take your Holy Spirit from me, but restore to me the joy of your salvation. And grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Again, so much we could talk about in this passage. But I want, to, I want to point this out. You know, David has been placing an emphasis on, on forgiveness and cleansing. And now he's going beyond that. And he's placing an emphasis on the sin's removal. He, he's, he's placing an emphasis on renewal. He's praying to be made new. I would say the key verse of this whole passage is verse 10. Let me read it again. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. You know, the the inner person is what he recognizes is the source of the problem. The affair, 
even the murder of Bathsheba's husband, those are symptomatic of a root problem. And what he recognizes is that the root problem is within him. There's something about his inner person that is the source of the trouble. You know, we tend to think of the human heart as the seat of emotions. That's what we think in modern times. So, so joy and sorrow and, and all sorts of other emotions come from our heart. That's what we tend to think. But in ancient times, the heart was thought of as the, the mainstream of all of life. It wasn't just the emotions. All of life came from the heart. And so here's what this passage tells us. This idea about asking God to create in me a pure heart, oh God, it's telling us this. We are incapable of changing our own hearts. We can't change our hearts. You may say, well, hey, what, what if I pray? And, and what if I read the scriptures? And what if I worship God regularly, come to church? Those are all great things. We're not, we're not suggesting those aren't great things for you to engage in. But only God will be the one who can change your heart. So as you pray, we recognize only God can change our hearts. As we read the scriptures, what we recognize is God, change me from the inside out as I read your word. Do you see it? We are incapable of changing our own hearts. So how will you change? How will you change? The power of God. Listen, the power of God is what makes a renewed life possible. That's what we're seeing in this passage. This is what the psalmist is saying. He's saying, create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Are you feeling filthy? Is the tape playing over and over again in your head, in your mind? What you need is a new heart. What you need is a new beginning. What, what you need is a new capacity for living. The Bible tells us where we get this. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. This is a great one to have the memory also. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. There's renewal. The old has gone. The new is here. Do you see it? The source of renewal. The source of this new life we want to have. The new beginning. The, the new capacity for living, it's all rooted in Jesus. Let me tell you about a friend that I have in Kenya. His name is Steve. I've got a picture of Steve to show you. What a cool guy. You would love to. I wish you could meet Steve. Maybe we'll get him here. Steve is a guy that has um, a pretty incredible story. He's very much a part of the community in Kibera. He's very much committed to this. Steve is, is a guy that would tell you by his own mission, he was a heavy drinker at one point in his life. He was a womanizer. Steve would, would describe himself, quote-unquote, as a bad man. He was a bad man. But he surrendered his life to Christ. He, he went before God asking to be cleansed, to be forgiven. He asked for this renewal in his life. And God has dramatically made him a new creation. Changed him from the inside out. And so what happened? Well, his marriage is different. His relationship with his children is different. The way he sees the community is different because there's been this renewal that's happened in Steve's life. He is a new creation. Let's bring this home. Go to 13 verses 15 with me, looking at Psalm 31, uh, 51 again. The scripture says, then I will teach transgressors your ways. Let me go back. He says, listen, okay, so I've prayed for forgiveness. 
I've prayed for God's cleansing. I've prayed for renewal. And then he says, after all that, then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Believe, I'm sorry, deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You know, he's saying this, a restored life must be shared. Did you catch this? When God renews your life, when he changes you from the inside out, that has to be shared. That's what his prayer essentially is here. You know, we think of salvation. We tend to think of, of being sorry and repenting and receiving, receiving the pardon of God, and that's all true. But the person who has found salvation acts in love toward others in obedience to God. There's a new sense of living. There's a, there's a sense of, I am now God's person. I'm his man or I'm his woman. I am, I am someone who is sold out for God. Because of his, his forgiveness, his cleansing, his renewal in my life. Again, my friend Steve. You know, Steve, who this is self-described bad guy in the past, now is a guy who serves missionary teams. Missionaries from all over America come there, all over the world probably come there. And Steve is there to serve them to partner with them. Steve is a leader in his church community right there in Kibera. He's a part of the redemptive work that God is doing in that dark place. So here's what we do. When we receive the renewal of God, we serve God in newness of life. Here's what 15 through 17 is basically saying. I'm sorry, 13 through 15 is saying. It's saying, listen, use me, God. Use me. I don't want you just to forgive me and cleanse me. I don't want you only to renew me. I desire, God, that you would use me. There's, there's a, a prayer in the Book of Common Prayer. You know, we worship in the Anglican tradition here. Listen to this prayer from the Book of Common Prayer. It reminds us of our prayer of confession. The prayer says, We have sinned against you through our own fault in thought and word and deed for the sake of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, forgive us all of our offenses. And this is important. And grant that we may serve you in newness of life. Grant that we may serve you in newness of life to the glory of your name. Do you see it? We serve God in newness of life. You may say, well, I've got too much baggage. No, you don't. If the Lord has forgiven you and cleansed you, if the Lord is renewing you, then you can put the baggage aside. And you could serve God in newness of life, right where you are. We need people to serve God. Steve is serving to redeem what's happening in, 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 in Kenya, in Nairobi there, in, in, in Kibera. Well, listen, in this nation, in our community, we need Christians who have received the forgiveness and the cleansing and the renewal of God to be involved in education and politics and athletics in neighborhood associations and redeem those things and be used of God. We're called to do this because we've been cleansed and forgiven through the blood of Jesus. So I want to take you back to verse 7. I kind of glazed over this part, but we need to lean into it as we bring this to a conclusion. Verse 7 says this, Cleanse me with hyssop, 
and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Cleanse me with hyssop. You know, hyssop is a naturally occurring, growing plant in that part of the world, in the Holy Land. And this here is a little prawn of hyssop. It's beautiful. It smells really good, by the way. And this hyssop prawn kind of shows up all throughout the Old Testament. The priests would take hyssop and they would dip it in blood and they would sprinkle the people as a sign of cleansing that comes through sacrifice. They would dip it in water and they would sprinkle the people as a sign of being washed. And then when when the Israelites were going to be leaving Egypt, God instructed them to paint with the blood of a lamb on the doorposts of their home. You know what they used to paint that blood on? Not paintbrushes, hyssop. A hyssop prawn was used. And so we see ceremonially that, that hyssop over and over again is used as a sign of cleansing and forgiveness. But there's something really powerful in the Gospels. When Jesus Christ was on the cross suffering, bleeding, in excruciating agony, he cried out and said, I thirst. I'm thirsty. And what happened next was this. Someone took a hyssop branch, not just a prawn, a branch. And they put a sponge on it and they dipped it in water and they lifted it up to Jesus. And all of a sudden we had this reminder of why Jesus was on the cross. The hyssop branch or prawn reminds us that he was on the cross to bring forgiveness and cleansing. Forgiveness and cleansing, that was his work. Listen, the hyssop that's spoken of here in Psalm 51 has been provided. What a great connection. Isn't the Bible powerful, incredible? It's alluded to right here. Cleanse me with hyssop. We see the work of Jesus even reflected in Psalm 51. So let me, let me give you an action step here. It actually comes to us from our Psalm 51 To wrap it up, verses 16 and 17, David says, look, you don't delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. David was rich. He could provide the sacrifice of sacrifices. He could bring all kinds of rich offerings before God. He was wealthy. He says, God, you don't want any of that. My sacrifice, oh God, is a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart over my sin is what you, God, will not despise. My friends, I would encourage you, whether you are worshiping online, worshiping with us in person, to go before God. The God who extends the hyssop branch to you and says you can be cleansed, you can be forgiven in the name of Jesus and receive His cleansing and receive His healing. I can give you a really simple way to do that. There's a prayer that's been prayed for hundreds of years in the church. It's called the Jesus Prayer. And we could pray that prayer right now today. You could pray that prayer this week. You could pray that prayer wherever you are. Here's what it is. The Jesus Prayer says simply, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Maybe this puts words to what's happening in your heart right now. As you consider your own depravity, your own propensity of sin, your own filth. If you're filthy, there is a hyssop branch that's been extended to you through Jesus Christ. And simply by saying, 
Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. We can receive the healing, the forgiveness, and the cleansing of God from sin. I want to invite you, whether you're in person, online, to actually fall to your knees in this moment right now as we close this this sermon and we consider the words of God and pray this prayer with me as we consider our inner reality, the inner world, the inner life, and our own sin. Would you pray with me? Oh Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. This is a prayer that we, we repeat when we pray. Oh Lord Jesus Christ, you are the Son of God. Have mercy on me, for I am a sinner. O Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on us, for we are sinners. O Lord, I thank you that indeed you have shown us mercy in your great compassion and your unfailing love through your Son, Jesus. And that the hyssop reminds us that he alone can cleanse us and forgive us. And so, Lord, I pray that the forgiveness of God in the midst of our clutter and our filth would cleanse us today. There's power in the blood, wonder-working power. What can make me clean? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Lord, we pray in his name that you would cleanse us and forgive us of all sin. We pray this in the name of Jesus, who alone can give us this mercy and this grace and this forgiveness. We pray in his name. Use us, O God. Amen.